Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with our colleagues, Michael Bennett and Lauren Withicombe-Keeler. Michael and Lauren are working on a project here in the School for the Future of Innovation and Society called the American Dream Lab. The American Dream Lab is part of a larger project called Future of the American Dream. They tell us what it's all about, what they're accomplishing with it, and we talk about things like tarot cards and the printing press and and students and what students think about the American dream and what is this American dream thing why is it American and what might media studies have to say about some of the reasons that the American dream exists and what it does uh, so we hope that you enjoy this episode of future out loud as always, before we get started, I'm going to beg you, please tell your friends about our podcast and please subscribe to us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Google Play. We would love to know what you think about Future Out Loud, so you can tweet at us at Future Out Loud. You may have known us as a different name uh, before, but now we are at Future Out Loud. You can also find our Facebook page, Future Out loud and we have show notes up in two places two separate websites sfis.asu.edu forward slash future out loud and also on the risk innovation labs website which is riskinnovation.asu.edu slash future out loud so thank you very much for listening and on with the podcast hi michael Hey, Lauren. Hello. Thank you for being here with Andrew and me. Hi, Andrew. Hi. So you guys run the uh, future, no, <laughs> say Tell say us. what it is. The American I... Dream Lab. Oh, the American you. Dream Lab. The American yes. Dream Lab. What What is that? So the American Dream Lab is um, it's a, collabor- a collaboration that um, Lauren and I are working on that spins out of the, um, the future of the American dream project. Okay, that's where I got future from. Yeah, lest exactly. we think that I've completely lost no, it. And I'm not exactly saying exactly. I haven't. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't, let's not draw conclusions too early. <laughs> <laughs> so the American Dream Lab coming from the future of the American Dream project. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so that's a larger uh, ASU project with mm-hmm. a colleague of ours, uh, Brian David Johnson. Mm-hmm. And um, the American Dream Lab is an outgrowth of that. Um, looking at um, the cultural, historical, and political articulations of the American dream. Okay. And uh, through that, we've run a couple of courses, mm-hmm. graduate studio uh, and an undergraduate course mm-hmm. in the fall, and we'll be doing another graduate studio coming up this spring. Okay, great. 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 So, so the lab part of this, I'm speaking as somebody that also has a lab that doesn't have physical things, I'm going to be really cruel now. And no, it's you, okay. What, what does lab mean yeah, what is it if you don't mean? actually have test tubes and Bunsen burners you and whatever? You walked right into it. Yes, Thank what you. can you pipette in your yeah. mind? Well, so, lab to me means a, a collective commitment to experimental projects, right? Mm-hmm. So the data that we generated in the graduate studio, mm-hmm. um, they, 
really insightful, um, quasi-enlightening even, but um, the, the yield of it really was a bunch of questions. Okay. And as researchers, we couldn't help but commit ourselves to at least attempting to answer uh, some of them, okay. generate partial answers to them. And, and what sort of data is this, just so it's clear for people listening? So, um, one of the things that we've done, I mean, so I'm going to step a little bit back from the data question and go back to the method, and mm. this idea of experimentation. Mm. Okay. So one of the things that we're doing in the lab is experimenting with a deck of American Dream tarot cards, mm. which mm. are in and of themselves data that was generated by our graduate students. So okay. on this sort of official deck that we have um, are words and phrases that came up a lot in interviews that our graduate students in the studio conducted uh, with just folks on the street on what they thought the future of the American dream was. Right, okay. so these are words that just came to mind when you asked them to talk about the future. That's exactly right. And so, and they might be, you know, um, you might expect these words to come up. So opportunity, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. white picket fence would be the example of a phrase. Oh, um, okay. And so we use these uh, cards, these tarot cards, uh, as an experimental method to get people to tell different stories right. about okay. the future of the American dream. Right. So we lay down cards on the table, they don't always intersect in the way that you think that uh, uh, things about the American dream would, and we ask them to triangulate a story about the future of the American dream from the cards. Okay, so you have like honeybees and 401k and transatlantic flight. And you're like, and go. That's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. Tell us a story about something that might happen with the American dream in the future using these cards. Okay. And it's it's really useful when the words are derived from the interviews, right? Mm -hmm. We we effectively trained our graduate students as ethnographers. Yeah, yeah. Sent them out into the community to do interviews. The interviews were then transcribed and these keywords were extracted from the transcriptions. Mm -hmm. That was a, the first stage, but um, building on that, one of the experiments was to, to turn to texts that we used um, as a background for the course, um, everything from Walt Whitman to, um, to President Obama's speeches mm -hmm. um, and everything in between, and we extracted keywords from those as well. Okay. Those were generated by students too, and so imagine um, someone reading two or three texts assigned for a particular week, generating, say, somewhere between three and six keywords from, um, from that collection of texts, mm -hmm. and then those keywords being converted into cards, which became a part of a deck, and then using those to think about plausible um, futures for right. the American dream, right. but okay. then also using them to, to guide readings of future texts Okay. So for future courses, right. you mean? For yeah. that same course, just, oh, just I see. farther in the head in the exactly. syllabus. Wow. So imagine okay. a student sitting before a text that's assigned for, um, say, the next week and mm -hmm. using cards that have been generated in the past, same class, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to guide them through that text. Right. Okay. So, so it's a way of getting people to think critically about and explore their ideas of the future here in America and what this idea of the American dream actually means. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And it's performative as well, mm -hmm. right? And uh, collectively so, because mm -hmm. the cards are generated by everyone in the class. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have a full deck in front of you, you may pull up words that you contributed, but odds are you won't. Mm -hmm. And so 
there's a kind of record of a previous reading, yeah. of previous interviews, previous texts. So I've, I've I've actually got a bunch of questions about these, yeah. in, including Andrew's like if you only had paper to write this down on. Well, well, yeah. well yes, actually, but I, I'm actually thinking, well, how do you do this? Do you have a, sort of a, a mystical dealer dealing them? But but actually, I well, have my I, okay, deck. We, I mean, we have usually to, I don't travel without my deck. But right, right. <laughs> but, but actually, but but the bigger question that's going through my head at the moment is, I can see how this works in an academic environment like this, where we're trying to get students to think about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent are you thinking about taking this out in? to the community and I think I'm going to tie this into what's happening in the US at the moment with um, President-elect Trump coming in but you've obviously got a huge diversity of communities here that are grappling with what the future means for them. So uh, a couple things I think are are important in this. One is that the reason for me one of the reasons why the tarot is so interesting in the kinds of engagements that you're talking about both academic and in the public sphere Mm -hmm. is that it's really hard to get people to break with their perception of the american dream and so the tarot forces them maybe down a road Mm -hmm. talking about specific things about the american dream that they wouldn't have spoken about before Mm -hmm. okay uh and so from our perspective in this hot political uh, environment that we're in, the tarot cards are a uh, are a tool for speaking about something that is uh, highly value laden and potentially mm, con- yes. contentious yes. Uh-huh. in a way um, uh, somewhat separated sure. from those from those feelings right. and from the the immediacy of some of those feelings mm-hmm. um, and the impact of of aspects of the American dream on mm. your your life now. And Lauren, I don't want to speak for you on this front, so I'll put it out as a as a quasi question. Would you also agree that the the performative side of the cards has baked into it a kind of impulse towards civility mm-hmm. as well? Right? Absolutely. Right. Because you, as a participant, when you've, mm-hmm. you're dealt a constellation of concepts, right, a series of cards, mm-hmm. again, they may, one, maybe two of them, odds are, um, could be your contributions to the mm-hmm. deck. But odds are you're going to get contributions from other people, perhaps other people who aren't even present. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in some ways you're channeling folks and texts. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about texts, these are written in some instances 150 years ago. Uh-huh. So you're, in a sense, doing something that's performatively democratic, performatively egalitarian, I would say even more precisely. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. So we did this uh, two weeks before the election mm-hmm. uh, in Farragut Square in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. basically going up to people on the street and asking them if they would mind reading the future of the American dream with our tarot cards. And it was really successful. I mean, and people were really interested in engaging with us. Mm-hmm. And, and to Michael's point about the method engendering a certain civility, I think, you know, standing in front of somebody and having them draw a card, taking the card in their hand, mm-hmm. all of that kind of builds a, a special relationship in which people feel both comfortable speaking about the future of the American dream and also like, okay, this is a uh, this is a unique kind of conversation that doesn't need to be inflected with, you know, the anger that I'm sure. Right, handle. right. So just walk us through how this happens, especially on the street. So you're the dealer and you yeah, so I'm the dealer, and uh, and if Michael's the uh, the reader, I say, you know, I ask him if he'd like to read the future of the American dream. Uh, like he no says pressure. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's no pressure. The These American are American dream, dream tarot, yeah. right? So you know, we're we're you know already in the realm of the mystics, 
Um, okay, so I'm I'm I've got my deck mm -hmm. and I'm shuffling through them and I ask Michael to tell me when to stop. Okay. And I say stop. All right, and I give him a card, and the card says. Maybe it says inequality. And it says inequality. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna shuffle them again and give him another card. Mm -hmm. Stop. There you go. The card is down, and maybe this one says white picket fence. Okay, so we've got inequality and white picket fence, and I'm gonna give you another card, so tell me when to stop. Stop. And the third card is? Patriotism. Okay, so we have patriotism, white picket fence, and inequality. Michael, can you give me a plausible future for the American dream triangulated from those three cards? And so this is usually where the, the participant pauses because mm -hmm. right they're like, I, 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 like, I just give you a donation and move along. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, we, we sometimes get um, strange uh, responses. Uh, people giggle a little bit mm -hmm. or they say, hmm, I'm not, not sure how these things fit together. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, especially students at that point, will say, well, how far out into the future? Um, 20 years, 30 years? Mm -hmm. Just, just run with it. Let's see. And so, you, know, you could, um, you could imagine a person, um, a hypothetical participant, not me, just a hypothetical sure. participant, mm -hmm. saying, "Well, um, let's imagine um, an America that's, uh, say, twenty-five years out." Mm -hmm. And so, what are we talking about? Uh, Twenty forty-one, mm -hmm. then. Um, and at that point, um, perhaps. Perhaps uh, white picket fences um, have become uh, a really concrete um, symbol of uh, aspiration in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, but the the aspirants um, don't uh, intend for picket fences to uh, point towards um, some kind of material state, right? So they're not using white picket fences as a symbol for um, for money or for fancy cars, certainly not for for fancy homes. Mm -hmm. um, white picket fences now mean something um, that's contra to inequality, hmm. right? So okay. perhaps um, the meaning, the symbolic meaning has been transformed such that you see a person, they're walking along, they've got a necklace, and the, the pendant there is a little sample of a, a white picket fence. Ah, right. okay. And that, that mm -hmm. symbolizes... So it's a, it's a solidarity equality exactly. type of mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay. Yes. So now we're, we're sharing a home. It's not that I'm aspiring to own my own house. It's that now the home is this larger kind of national psychic project in which we are all at home. Right. Mm -hmm. So is that the new patriotism? It could be. It could okay. be okay. inclusive okay. patriotism. You, you yeah. Interesting. All right. Yeah. All right. So Michael's obviously an expert in this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, to come up with a scenario like that uh, off the top of his head. So that is that's the the primary activity related to the tarot. We also have a sub deck that at that point in time, when Michael gets real comfortable with this great story that he told about mm -hmm. the future, we say, okay, now I'm gonna shuffle these cards again. Would you mind selecting? just one more. Mm -hmm. And tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay, and Michael has in front of him a uh, what is sort of a disruptor card. And these were not derived from the interviews, okay. but were intended to be concepts that um, 
intersect with the American dream in unexpected ways and intentionally disrupt narratives uh, okay. about the American dream. So what's your card? So now we have on the table, in addition to those three, the disruptor, illusion. Illusion. Okay, okay so we have inequality, white picket fence, patriotism, and now we've introduced illusion. How does illusion change the story that you just told about the future of the American dream? So, um, f for me, it's difficult to um, to come up with a change that's not um, southward pointing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it makes mm -hmm. it a bit more downbeat. And so, perhaps, um, you know, now one might imagine that um, what I said about the, the triplet um, is modified thusly, right? So, illusion um, would be would actually be the reality, right? Mm -hmm. That um, this version of the American dream in 2041 in which um, the white picket fence symbolizes a collective aspiration to mm -hmm. equality um, might be illusory at base, mm -hmm. right? Okay. It, it might actually buck um, empirical reality, certainly, but mm -hmm. uh, even plausibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the... I, you can see how you're now beginning to experiment around with new ideas, new visions. So the, the lab idea makes perfect sense here because yeah. you are playing around with these things. Um, what happens next? Okay, so you engage people in these conversations. You begin to get away from some of the partisanship that, that we've seen, it sounds like, mm -hmm. um, with these conversations. What happens next? What do you do with that information, with that exchange, with that, that connection with these people? So it seems to me that um, certain things very likely happen rather automatically as a result of an extended engagement, either in the form of, um, say, a 30 to 45 minute long interview with mm -hmm. one of our um, researcher students, or certainly um, a semester long course. Mm -hmm. um, and so one automatic thing that, uh, that happens is um, sensitivity is intensified, right? So um, certainly in designing um, these projects and designing the course, Lauren and I and our colleague Brian as well have realized that um, the American dream seems to be something like um, the 19th century physicist notion of ether, like it's all mm -hmm. around us. Mm -hmm. right? uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, if you prefer a science fictional metaphor, it would be like the matrix, right? Like sure. We're basking in it, it's permeating mm -hmm. so much, but it's terribly nebulous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, many people seem to have a sense that it has something to do with material accumulation. Um, with so so actually, would, just, just thinking about that, would you say that there is this notion that there is a single thing called the American dream, or is it just different in everybody's heads? I think we see the American dream as, as being multimodal. Right. Um, and I think that um, there is certainly a significant amount of overlap in the different ways in which the American dream is conceptualized, yeah. but our conception, conceptualizations of the American dream are not its only mode. Right, right. Because right. sure. this fascinates me as, I guess, I am an immigrant. I came mm -hmm. from the UK. And you I, guess you are? Well, <laughs> or I, you <laughs> totally are? You know, I, I have no <laughs> idea. I just, I just made a rough really guess. Yes. yes. No, I, <laughs> I am an, an immigrant. And coming from outside the States to inside, there is this clear, if somewhat simplistic idea of the American dream 
of anybody being able to achieve almost anything if only they sort mm -hmm. of put their will to it. Mm -hmm. So sort of this this really crazy idea, which doesn't actually work out in practice, right. of a completely sort of accepting sort of multicultural environments where all you need is is your wits and the desire to achieve something, and you can. Mm -hmm. And of course you get here and you realize that reality is nothing like that, right. but certainly that's the dream that's projected outside. And projection is really the key word, mm -hmm. and one of the big questions on the far side of it though is to, to what end? Right. Whom, mm -hmm. for for what um, functions, right? right and so right. one of the really interesting minor modes that we've come across is the uh, the American dream as as a form of regulation, almost like an ontological regulation, right? In which there is this sense of um, incredible possibility. Mm -hmm. um, what on its flip side is this explanation of results, mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. such that. You are in this country, you have all of this opportunity, and whatever is happening to you, the American dream says you deserve it. Right. Interesting. Right. The American dream says you deserve it, and actually we all say it to each exactly. other all yeah, the exactly. time, and exactly. our students say it back to us, you the, know, the always dream, on the first day exactly. of class. Exactly. The American dream teaches us to say it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And the, Ameri yeah, the American dream is, is not at fault. And that's one of the darker um, minor modes. And yes, but and on this this topic of modes, I mean, it it might be true that that the conceptualization of the American dream that you just articulated is not is not true. Mm. However, if you imagine that one of the modes of of the American dream is a political instrument that and an economic instrument, uh, here you here you are among us, despite its flaws, mm -hmm. contributing to our national intellectual uh, enterprise. So, so that to me is. <laughs> really important and it comes down to the power of an idea and you can in effect I guess cr I'm guessing again um, you, can <laughs> you can create a reality just by convincing people to believe that that reality exists that is an incredibly powerful political instrument certainly yes. I was about to say, you can see how this project is incredibly timely right? yes. because we're in this space in mm -hmm. which some people will want to say that we're post-truth or we've um, gotten beyond um, empirical analysis mm -hmm. But another way to say that is that we are in a space in which narrative is supreme, right? Who's right. Mm -hmm. the most effective story, who's mobilizing the story most effectively, and mm -hmm. therefore winning a political game. That's a big question for us right now. Well, yeah. hasn't that always been the case, though? I mean, if there was somebody, and I need to look up and see who said this, somebody said politics is competitive storytelling at the end of the day. And hasn't that always been the case, is that whoever mobilizes the story most effectively wins that round yeah are we seeing it differently now because of the ways that we have communication so I, I would add something else to that so in effective storytelling you've got to understand the context and the resonances mm -hmm. so you could actually argue that the most effective stories are the ones that resonate most deeply with the people that are hearing them and, sure. I, and if that receptiveness and that resonance changes mm -hmm. then you've got a different environment well, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the American dream as a story and as a political narrative is that it can be transmitted simultaneously by two very different political interests yeah. right. for their game. So we saw in the um, acceptance and concession speeches mm -hmm. um, on election night and the day after both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump invoking the American so, dream, mm -hmm. providing very different um, diagnoses and treatment options right. for the dream. Right. Kind of 
fascinating for for Clinton, the dream was something that was much more uh, spacious. It was a volumetric mm-hmm. kind of argument in which the dream was spacious enough for everyone to fit into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Trump, the dream was something that was broken, that needed to be attended to, that needed to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And that had been trodden on by certain groups of people who needed to be uh, who need who needed to be removed from their their power over aspects of the dream? He was pretty clear about that. Yeah, yeah. So then, what is the power of having a single dream? So you, again, getting mm-hmm. back to this idea of narratives, you've got two very different political perspectives there, um, each touting their own particular sort of dream. And there's actually quite a lot of commonality between those dreams, but the nuances are important here. Sure. But the idea is that just has to be one dream if you look at the two-party mm-hmm. system that we all adhere to. Where is the value, and this comes back to experimenting, I guess, here, where is the value in a plurality of, of dreams that work together? Um, and sort of to what extent should we really be exploring this rather than just getting caught in the rut of there only being one dream that we all follow? So I think the one of the, the great um, values of um, what we call multi-modality various modes of the American dream is that um, it seems to give us um, greater flexibility in imagining what, what we want. You know, right, mm-hmm. right. right. Um, it seems as well to, uh, uh, if not lessen, then at least complicate the capacity of actors to manipulate large numbers of people by turning to, to the dream, mm-hmm. and, um, by operationalizing it, instrumentalizing it. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it also um, probably fits well with something that's quasi-essential in American culture uh, that's focused on uh, selectivity, right? This notion that um, if not a serial aisle, then at least a, a domain in which you have um, various um, options mm-hmm. in front of you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, through the work that the lab is doing do you see that maybe could this work in all of these tarot readings that you're doing all these experiences could they yield sort of a meta dream under which different people may exercise sort of meso level dreams we're getting very matrixy here well, I'm trying to science right, yeah. this, you guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, but really, I mean, is there a meta dream that everybody can sort of, you know, hang their hat on? Well, I think, I think, the American dream as we see it discussed today is that is that meta dream right. under which mm-hmm. there are varying interpretations and articulations, yeah, yeah. and yeah. also people that say. I don't want to live under this umbrella of an American dream. It's mm-hmm. actually a highly oppressive concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna weigh in one way or another in that, but I think that, um, you know, it's worth noting that, you know, the American dream tries to be both, or um, is simultaneously both, you know, a singularity and open to individual interpretation, but there are plenty of people that would like to dispense with it altogether. Right. Well, mm-hmm. so can I ask a question there? Again, as an immigrant, 
<laughs> What's with this obsession with the American dream? Yeah, what is that um, all And about? so the reason I ask that is if you look at other young countries and young economies, you don't have that same obsession with what are we, who are we, where are we going? It seems to be something that feels uniquely American. And I don't know whether that's true, but certainly it seems that way to me. Um, where does this come from? That's I, a stumper. It, <laughs> it is, in a way. Um, I think it's, um, it's coming from many places, right? So elements of the American dream are in the founding documents. Ele mm -hmm. Elements of the, the dream are in the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. Elements of it are in the, um, the great early um, mm -hmm. classic authors. Right, mm -hmm. right. And, right. It's, in these, it's emanating um, elementally from these places that we we really can't unders understand that. But, but it, it almost mm -hmm. sounds like it was sort of hard-baked into the, the psyche with the founding fathers and the, that early thinking around what it means to be a new country, a new society. I think that's true, but I, I also think, you know, there's a, a America's um, cultural generation machine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, does a lot of work Definitely. for the American dream, reinforcing it both domestically and abroad, right? And so right. it's it does have these deep historical roots. Um, you know, you do see elements of it in Whitman, but also in Whitman, right? You see this call for a a national art. Mm -hmm. We have a national art. We have you know movies, all mm -hmm. of these things that reinforce critical elements of the American dream and solidify it as part of you know the American identity. Yeah, literally, yeah. Whitman and Democratic Vistas calls on subsequent to teach us how to be good Americans. Yeah. To actually generate modes of Americanness. And, and this is why it seems to be so important that what you're doing is grounded in the past and the evolution of this concept of the American dream because mm -hmm. then that informs where we're going in the future. Yeah, so why does America have an American dream and you know, England does not have an English dream. Oh, you, it's yes, just you an English reality. <laughs> yes, maybe. But yes, or an Australian or dream. A or a French dream. A French dream, And yes. I'm wondering if it has something to do with the age of America in so much as we had the printing press at the inception of America. So the inception of America as a nation happened with technologies that allowed a discrete ETE message to be conveyed in an exact way broadly. Whereas the inception of other countries that we, you know, England, France, Germany, they were pre-printing press, right? So there was not as much reading, and if there was, it was hand-scribed, and that was not available to the masses. So the quote, dream, or the principles, or the ideas, or whatever it was, would not have been able to be communicated it's quite it's so broadly. It's certainly interesting, and I'm, a, I'm as much a fan of Marshall McLuhan as anyone else, mm -hmm. and so I, um, I definitely want to nod and um, acknowledge the, the savvy media studies approach. But at the same time, I, um, I don't endorse the notion that there's much at all natural about nation states, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That kind of um, makes it... Um, less important for me to, to explain why one country is different from another, right? Mm -hmm. It's because they are um, artificial, because they've been constructed. Mm -hmm. Sure, of course, different yeah. Different histories, different politics, and so 
you know, if we were to run with uh, with this notion, we we'd run into trouble with China, which has actually looked to the U.S., been inspired, mm -hmm. politically inspired by mm -hmm. the concept of the American dream, and is now um, been working for probably uh, a little under ten years on a Chinese dream mm -hmm. that um, that models itself on on the American, the American dream. dream. Okay. From the um, sort of cultural transmission, mm -hmm. political uh, narrative sense, mm -hmm. not in necessarily the particular... Uh, not the execution uh, of yeah, the, the, the yeah. way in which they, they conceptualize it is, is, is different. Okay. It's not a perfect copy. No, it's not, it's not <laughs> right. a perfect copy, but I mean, I think it's important to, to note that what they're really looking for is um, recreating the impact of the, the, the dream on the sort of collective psyche. Right, mm -hmm. right. There's a management problem there, right? That the American dream seems to be at least a partial answer to. Mm -hmm. uh, along the same lines as your, your comment, Heather, about the, um, the post-printing mm -hmm. press right. implications of the emergence of the dream in the mm -hmm. U.S., I think that one of the, uh, the effects, in all likelihood, is a, a bit of cohesive. Right, mm -hmm. we, yeah. it's it's an ether, it's a matrix, right? It's mm -hmm. something that permeates American space, yeah. um, spills out beyond it as well. But mm -hmm. right, it, it's here, and it uh, it binds us. That's one of the things that was most interesting about the um, the early data sets. People had very different notions and reactions to the American dream, but no one, um, no one was confused about what we were asking. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you, so you've mentioned that you rolled this out, you've rolled this out in, in class, right? Mm -hmm. Captive audience, we hope, with graduate <laughs> students and undergraduates. Um, and in Farragut Square, mm -hmm. which is its own very specific demographic, mm -hmm. um, where hell else have you done this or where are you planning to do this? So we've, um, we've sent students out into the Phoenix area, as you say, Farragut Square and in class, and coming back to one of Andrew's early questions, this is what the lab is for, right? Okay. To, to reach mm -hmm. out and to, to run these experiments mm -hmm. outside of these um, these kind of singular spaces mm -hmm. to see if we can arrive at some some general notions of what and what does not happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, because I'm just thinking, like, if you go to Augusta, Maine, and Tallahassee, Florida, mm -hmm. and Quitman, Mississippi, and San Jose, California, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to know what happens in those places. Right. Yeah. So geographically, it's interesting. I mean, and that's true both where you are in Phoenix and mm -hmm. in Phoenix versus Augusta. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also also true depending upon the age of the people that you exactly. spoke with. Of course, so yeah. I spoke with um, seventh and eighth grade students uh -huh. and did tarot a couple of weeks ago, and um, and spoke with. Um, uh, the history teacher at the school that I was at mm -hmm. about continuing to use the tarot mm -hmm. in their classrooms. So mm -hmm. we think that um, in particular uh, the classroom environments um, for for high school and uh, undergraduate, mm -hmm. the, the tarot is a good uh, entry it's point into discussing the American dream. Even the, the basic products of this project, including mm -hmm. the syllabus for the undergraduate class, mm -hmm. um, these products are designed um, even the basic ones to be to be shared, right? mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. you know, we're very interested in sending um, 
these experimental methods out so that high school teachers, undergraduate teachers at large universities, small ones, and uh, mm -hmm. right, uh, community colleges can make use of them. Mm -hmm. And then this is as well a way to, to generate more data. Right, right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. by having yeah. this continuing. Exactly. So there's one question I've got to ask. Mm -hmm. You're doing this in a country which is known for its religious conservatism, and you're calling it the tarot day. Have you run into any problems there? It's funny you should funny ask. You <laughs> so I, I did um, the tarot at a parochial school and did say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I did it in the back of a church. So, um, and they, they didn't seem to be offended by it. I think that, that, you know, explaining that we're not actually engaging in mysticism can be helpful depending right. upon mm -hmm. the audience. But we also did get a firm shutdown in D.C. Uh, really? Because of the use of, of the tarot right. language. Firm shutdown by whom? Um, they were like uh, Pentecostal types, or so it was these were some folks. From and I don't mean to uh, select uh, uh, Pentecostals uh, as like a pejorative no, thing; no, no. just people uh, who these, would these, not these dig that. These were some folks from a local church who uh -huh. were on the square attempting to encourage um, people to read the Bible and come and spend time with them on Sundays. Sure, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So um, they pushed back. Yeah, they were interested. But when the word tarot emerged, yeah. so, so it, it, so it, it elicited a visceral So tarot reaction. is not part of the American dream. <laughs> it's, it's a very charged kind of word. It and it, it does a lot of good work for us. Um, but we also have to manage it because yeah. at a certain level, we're not talking about, um, well, at, at the basic level, we're not talking about the Marseille deck, right? We're not, right, right. We're mm -hmm. not channeling anything. But tarot is a useful concept for... Mm -hmm attempting to kind of viscerally engage with things that mm -hmm. haven't occurred. Mm -hmm. Sure. And that's what we're doing here. Um, yeah, and, you know, I mean, even though um, tarot is associated with fortune-telling, I mean, this, mm -hmm. this idea of sitting down and uh, laying out cards to create new ideas and inspire conversation is mm -hmm. just another way of, of structuring knowledge, right. you mm -hmm. know, and, and from my perspective, belongs firmly in a university, in, a, in an experimental mm -hmm. space. Indeed, indeed. It makes for good conversation as well. That's true. I bet mm -hmm. it does. Well, I'm, I'm really interested to hear how this continues to progress, because how long have you been at this? What's it been now? Almost a year? Almost a year. Almost a year. Yeah. All right, good. Well, we'll have one little birthday candle now, and will you come back and tell us when you've got some more birthday candles? Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. We're finishing up our um, first round of papers now, yep. so we'll have a lot more to say pretty soon. Excellent. Yeah, right. Thank you for having us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. For more where that came from, including our undergraduate and graduate programs, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Mark Van Hare created our music. Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Please subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell your friends and let us know what you think.